I only have one thing that I thought they did wrong. They, they turned off the light. Everything else was perfect. Would you join me as I pray for before the message? Father, this morning, in your son's name, I pray for your words, that those words would represent your reputation and kingdom, that my heart would be submitted to your spirit and not grasp after my own will, but rather yield to yours, that I might announce you or bear witness to your work. May your reign increase in me, and in your church, and in this world. Amen. Normally, I start off with a question. I'm going to save the question for later. You'll, you'll get to go home thinking about it. How's that? This last couple, this last Advent Sundays, I've, I've been talking about these candles and uh, dealing with them in the sermon things. It, it is lit, but it's not going. Never mind. I was gonna, I was gonna make sure that was lit for the sermon. But this morning we're we're gonna talk about the pink one, right? You may have noticed that in the in the standard Advent ring, there's one that's different from the others. It's joy. It's the joy candle. And your sermon might say that I'm talking about something else today in your in your bulletin. It's um, incorrect. I'm going to be talking about joy this morning. And I don't really want to get into a semantic argument. I know that um, Christians for years have handled joy differently than happiness. And, and I would like to say I don't want to argue about near very near synonyms and how different they might be in the way that we use them. I want to make sure, though, that if you think joy is radically different from happiness and you go out and you talk about it and you start talking to people that get deer-in-the-headlight looks, going, what? I thought they were the same. You might then unpack that suitcase a little bit about why you think joy is different than happiness using simple and clear explanations, yes? In the same way, the difference, like we could argue about synonyms, that if you were inducted or placed or installed or plonked, right, that those are all near synonyms. And I want to make sure that you know that. This morning, for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 1 through 8 is where I'm going to be. That is page 1867 in your Bible. And, and if you'd be willing to find that, as soon as I read most of it, I'm going to turn two pages and go to another scripture that, that, says, that has our echo for this. So I hear pages turn and let me know when you got there. Are you there? Hebrews 12. Okay. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. This is the key spot. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Okay, now, if I flip right over to James one, that's just a couple of pages. Dear brothers and sisters, in verse 2, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I want to set those two beside them for a second. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, put aside or disregarded the shame of the cross. And we, as brothers and sisters of his, think when troubles come our way, it should be considered an opportunity for great joy. Just want to talk to you a little bit about joy in your life. Because this, this year I've been talking about um, these candles or peace and hope, and, and we'll talk about love. From the perspective of Jesus' second coming, I want to begin to think about what it might be for us to be reborn and different. If we maybe showed up a second time in our lives. Here it is. The first thing we need to know about joy, what was the joy set before Jesus that he did, was able to disregard the cross or disregard the shame of the cross? That's a good question, isn't it? What was the joy set before Jesus? Was it that he was going to be resurrected? No, he was going to be resurrected regardless, but couldn't be resurrected unless he had been crucified. That's not the shame. That's not the joy that was set before him. If we do this work biblically, some of you will know that I have a favorite, favorite Old, time, Old Testament answer to most questions of faith, and it is the book of Isaiah. And around Christmas time, I get to Isaiah 53 a lot. Some of you might say, wait, 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 that's an Easter thing. But here it is. What was the joy set before him? This is, this is the end of Isaiah 53, right about verse, I think I'll go to 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good will will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, the righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will better all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he has exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebellion. What was the joy set before Jesus that he was able to go the cross? That doesn't look like a bunch of fun 
but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, if I were to say it that way, and I just did, how many of you have things in your life that you don't want to do? <laughs> just, just Linda, <laughs> over here. But you do them anyway because you know the results will be worth it. Right? You have those things, right? You submit to those things. I think it was, it was an early lesson in life as a graphic designer that I had to learn. Right? So I got out of art school and I thought the most important thing, it's going to be so exciting, I'm going to do logos all the rest of my life. And then you get a job and you find out that logos are about 3% of the work. And that only the people that do the other 97 percent of the work get to do logos and you think I hate this job <laughs> this is not what I signed up for no that's not what. <laughs> but you begin to understand that for the chance to do what needs to be done or something that you're shaped for you might have to get pretty good at doing some stuff you weren't really excited about doing I got and and by the way I'm, I'm old enough that uh, computers weren't there when I started as a graphic designer. And so when people had slideshows, you had to make them the, the, the color viewing sheets by hand. And those things all came into the graphics group. And, and you, can, you can just tell how excited I was to be given 45 slides of words, yellow on a blue background, all needing to be centered and straight, taped into a frame. You know, I went to art school for this. <laughs> and it felt like, wait, I went to art school for four years to take, to pass up four years of pay raises and and, and then do the same thing everybody else does when they start. That's right, they don't know that you know how to do straight lines. And in truth, I want to say that art school doesn't know the level of precision that doing it for a job requires. And so when you get there, you've been trained how to think, but you haven't been trained how to be precise in the way that the rest of the world does it. I want to then take that moment and then think of something we all have done, which is, Maybe learning how to drive. How much fun was that? Have your parents helping you or grandparents teaching you how to drive? And how much fun did you have not doing it correctly over and over and over again? And maybe having a stern parent say, it'll be two weeks before we get back in the car again. <laughs> is, this, is this your experience? No, it wasn't your experience? It was fun the whole way. Mine started out with six inches of snow on the ground and whoop-de-doos in the biggest parking lot my dad could find. And it says, learn how to control it here before we go on the street. See, that does sound like fun, doesn't it? But, but learning how to drive is hard work to do it. And by the way, learning how to drive is not something you do for six months or five months or four months, and then you get your license, and then you know everything about it. Why, why do I say that? Do you know that when I first started 
maybe this is just Dave and his weirdness, that when I first started driving, I thought the reason you stopped at stoplights was because you, the rules said you had to. But that's not really the reason why people should stop at stoplights. The reason people should stop at stoplights is because everybody should have the chance to live. <laughs> and that's a deeper lesson about driving, isn't it? The yield actually means take a look. There might be somebody there that also wants to live, and you should pause for a second to see if maybe you could take turns and both live. Instead, we often learn the lesson that's like this. That person cut me off. And I've been thinking about this over the last week or so. Do you know that the person that cut you off in traffic stopped thinking about you and their windshield got past yours? But the reason we learn how to drive or the, or is so that we can all live. The reason we do it more carefully than we originally thought was because we have lessons to learn that aren't all learned initially. The, the thing about being a Christian is, is that we think that if we just come to Jesus, it'll all be perfect. And then we find out that, that not everything we've done is correct. But what I'm talking about here is the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And I want to make sure that you understand that these lessons that we learned that maybe weren't very much fun are sort of the process by which we learn how to actually live full lives. That you actually learn how to, to give to others and, and look to the needs of other people. And this is Jesus. Remember, now if I just read this section again, that it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, to cause him grief, yet when his life is made for an offering of sin, he will have many descendants, he will enjoy a long life, and it will be the Lord's good plan. The Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished, my favorite little chunk of the Bible, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Now, some of you have heard me give whole sermons on that verse. Because you think Jesus might look at you and go, if only the cross had been a little more helpful. That's not how he looks at it. Everything that was supposed to happen at the cross, he looks at that and he goes, excellent. That's what I was hoping for. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. This is the joy set before him. Jesus went to the cross knowing That if he didn't do it, the forgiveness wouldn't happen, and that many wouldn't be named righteous. But who is it that's named righteous? This, this is the thing that sort of stuns me in the Isaiah 53 statement. Who has believed the message is how Isaiah 53 starts. To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? That's who believes the message. Did you know that part of this, that not only for the joy set before him, that many will be counted righteous, it's that we, we get 
to be exposed and, 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 and get to see and believe and be counted righteous that the joy of, of his salvation is ours. Now, why would I say his salvation? Because we would often say the joy of my salvation. But you know that you didn't accomplish it, right? You accepted it. Jesus' salvation is God's salvation for the joy of his salvation fills me. Not something that comes from me, not something that, that I can earn or, or even achieve on my own, or as Psalm 32 says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, yet what joy for those who record the Lord as having cleared their guilt. This is the joy set before Jesus. He goes to the cross. What will you do with the joy that he puts in you? Do you have you thought about that? What will you do with the joy of his salvation when you've had your debt cleared? Will you then go to, to a neighbor and say, my debt's been cleared, but you owe me plenty? <laughs> or will you say, my debt's been cleared. I forgive you. Because I know the standard operating procedure of humanity is, is to hold long accounts about every single thing that's been done to each of us, but not to ask for forgiveness about the things we've done to other people. The opposing thought is, is that we all want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. But Jesus, for the joy set before him, took care of the justice so that we could have mercy. And when he plants that in your heart, this is it, yet what joy for those whose record of guilt the Lord has cleared, whose lives are lived in complete honesty, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day. Day and night your hand of discipline was on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Do you know that uh, guilt and shame live in the shadows? That if we let Jesus shine his light on us, then we can be forgiven and set free, but as long as we say, but this is just me and nobody else should know about it and I just keep it this way, that it just progresses, it holds on and just holds this little stronghold in our life. For you are my hiding place, it goes on, you protect me in trouble, you surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says I will guide you along the best path for your life. And I'll advise you to watch, and I'll watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit or a bridle to keep it under control. To 
just saw this. I wasn't going to read any more, but down, down below. Many sorrows will come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All who obey him shout for joy. All you whose hearts are pure. So first off, what was the joy set before Jesus? That there'd be many of us that could have joy in our hearts and to come to God in salvation. So what is the joy in our hearts? God's salvation and the clearance of our guilt. Or, here's the question that I have for you today. If the joy of the Lord is your strength, have you heard that famous Christian adage, the joy of the Lord is my strength, or it's your salvation, or it's your adoration of him, and it really must be if you're to have a second act. What do I mean by a second act? A rebirth, or in John 3, I could read this whole thing on John 3, should I go to John 3? It says, so don't be surprised if I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can't hear it, hear the wind, you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And then there's this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus where he says, but you're a teacher of Israel. Don't you understand this? But if you don't believe me about the earthly things, how could you possibly understand if I told you heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now that's not just in a vacuum, right? Doesn't that sound an awful lot like Isaiah 53 right at the beginning? Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed the powerful arm? That's that same thing. We are seeing it and we have the chance to enter in and have this joy in our lives. But my question is this. What will your rebirth be like? And how will it be experienced for those around you. Will your new life in Christ be a curmudgeonly sort of experience for everybody else? Do you know what I mean by curmudgeon? Grumble, grouchy, contrary. Will it be grumpily given compliance to the Lord? I hope not. I want to ask you, will it be grumpy or joyful? <laughs> Maybe we should tell our faces when we're out in public that we're joyful deep down inside. I don't know how else to say that. Put a smile on it. <laughs> Put a smile on it. Let your light shine. Or as the kids said, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I'm going to blow it up. No. <laughs> Don't be curmudgeonly. Curmudgeonly. You like that word? Don't be grinchy. 
<laughs> That's me talking to me. Some of you know that I have a soft spot for the Grinch. Or maybe my heart is three sizes too small. <laughs> Will your new life be joyful, happy worship with the one who made us a path so we could find it? Oh, be joyful. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, this morning as we, as we come before you, as we give thanks for the path that we walk, that you guide us on, that you give us, that we couldn't even find on our own in a fully lit room if we had help, if it weren't for you. Help us know your presence and seek your guidance live a joyful life for the joy that's been set before us. In your precious name, amen.